I remember when I I used to um, work the streets. Um, there there were some nuns that that were um, they had a project in the area that I was in, and um, you know on occasion I'd use there to go and get food or because they used to give out food and everything. And I'd met them, and I mean they were great. There were three of them. Um, Rosie, she was about six foot. No, Rosie was about four foot. Annalise was about six foot, and Sue was somewhere in the middle. So there were the three of them. And um, Annalise used to come out to the women, um, working girls that used to um, uh, work the streets. But she used to come out on a bus with a, with another project that helped sex workers. And um, you know, I mean, she was incredible. She always used to encourage me and say, "Come on, Trudy," you know. But I was so lost. I was so lost. I just didn't hear it. You know, I just didn't get it, but she would just keep speaking um, words of hope and encouragement and possibility over over my life. Well, welcome to the show today, folks. I have a very special guest, uh, uh, Trudy Makepeace. Uh, Trudy has got a profound, powerful uh, testimony. I was deeply moved when I read her book. She has a book. It's called Abused, Addicted, and Free. We'll put this in the show notes so you can click on that and buy a copy for yourself and for your friends. But yeah, just a powerful testimony of the uh, love of God, uh, God's patience, and God's mercy to deal with all of us who are all prodigals on the run at one time or another. So, um, Trudy, I just want to thank you for your time and thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you for having me, Ken. It's a privilege. Yes, yes. Well, let's start at the beginning here. Um, you were had kind of a rough upbringing. Yeah, you could say. You definitely could <laughs> say that. <laughs> Is that being um, mild? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I'm always conscious that everybody has a story. And yeah, I'm, I'm maybe sometimes a little bit less sensitive because I think we get used to our own journey and used to our own story so um you know I'm probably just more used to it as well but um yeah it, it definitely was a bit turbulent I, I grew up um a, uh, the eldest of five children um a, in a very working class family um at the age of four I found out that I was adopted and I I don't know about you but I I Sometimes in families, you you have one of those people that open their mouths probably when they shouldn't, and uh, it, that happened with me really. I, I and um, you know somebody kind of revealed that, um, and you know I was four years old when when I heard that, and it was a real shock at the time. And I think as a four year old, I was trying to process the fact that I've got two mums, and what did this actually mean? Um, in amidst the shock of that but anyway um, upon reflection for a moment I thought it must be good news that I've got two mums and I remember running into where my um, adopted mum was sat at that time I didn't know I was adopted but I remember running in there and and just saying I've got two mums and you know she just probably was shocked and and with that sent me uh, flying across the room with a backhander but I, I guess she was in shock, but for me in that moment, it was quite significant because the lesson that I learned was that it wasn't safe for me to speak out. And I think there was almost an instant sense of shame 
about who I was um, and, you know, was forbidden to speak about that again. So I think, you know, when, when I reflect back, my my troubles probably began then, really. Mm-hmm. And then from the age of five, I was sexually abused by a family member um, and, and sexual abuse went on until my early teens with a number of different people. Um, and I guess at that early age, um, you know, in that moment, I definitely felt um, completely powerless um, mm-hmm. and, and hopeless, uh, you know, uh, not powerless and, you know, unable to do anything. Um, a, a real sense of fear um, came to overshadow me in that moment as well. I think um, that was a real open door um, for all sorts of things. And following on from that, I, you know, I just felt a real sense of of shame. And so really, you know, there was a sense of shame about my identity and then a sense of shame um, because of what had happened. And, you know, I was fearful to speak out. And then I think, you know, what, what shame will often do is just come to accuse us, to tell us that there's something wrong with us. And so, you know, I internalized that. So I grew up thinking that I was the problem, that something was wrong with me, um, that I was, you know, it was because I was bad. The, th- the fact these things kept happening just reiterated the lie that it was my fault and that there was something wrong with me. Um, so so I kind of g- grew up, um, the way that I dealt with that really um, was through escapism and just daydreaming and, you know, just shutting down because at that age, you don't know how to process that stuff. How do you process that stuff? So you just begin. Um, so I began to form some bad coping mechanisms, really. And um, yeah, so life was quite turbulent. I mean, at home, um, it, it was dysfunctional. We were we were a poor family. Um, you know, I, I found that um, impacted my school life um, because we didn't have much money, obviously, what we wore and, you know, I'd get free school dinners and all of these things um, just began um, to compound those lies. And, yeah, life wasn't easy, really. It wasn't good at home. Uh, my mum was abusive uh, emotionally, physically, uh, really just I think she just struggled um, herself emotionally and you know, she just had not had good parenting modeled to her. And it just all came out really in the way that she was. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I I began to have panic attacks and be very fearful from a young age, um, you know, just uh, to escape, I mean, all kinds of things, really, when I, when I think about it, I don't know that my mum meant to, but often she would do things that would really be extremely humiliating in order to try to teach me a lesson. Obviously, um, you know, it was just poor parenting, really. But, you know, I, I guess she had learned from her parents. And anyway, by the age uh, by the age of 11, um, you know, I ran away and I made several attempts to run away, take my own life. And I was just a really mixed up kid and I was just looking to escape, really. And I, th- I think I believed that if I could escape the situation that I was in, I would be okay and I'd be able to make something of my life, um, you know, once I got rid of all that that stuff. But obviously all, all of these things started to shape the person that I would become uh, and started to shape me as a person, how I viewed myself, how I saw, you know, my, my perspective of how other people viewed me. Um, and it was just, it was all pretty, 
as much as I kind of thought I, I want to make something of, of my life, all of these things became a hindrance to me um, really progressing in life because there was all this stuff that was undealt with. And um, so, yeah, I ended up going into care. Um, I, I don't know if you have a system over there, but we call it social services over here in the UK, um, you know, where, where you're removed from the home and you're, you're given different sets of foster parents. And so I, I went into the care system. But so although I was removed from that situation, um, you know, and I thought life would get better, it actually escalated out of control. I developed eating disorders. I had a real self uh, loathing about the way that I looked I hated myself really I think I internalized everything and I turned on myself and just blamed myself and obviously you know as much as I tried to run away or escape you I could never run away from me you always take you with you <laughs> and so you know I was just and I was running you know I was just I would turn to anything really to escape and I got into soft drugs um at an early age um you know I think by the time I was 14 I'm more you know um and trying to take my own life I ended up um just getting in with the wrong crowd really I think you know the reality is we all want to be loved and accepted we all need to know that we belong um and that we matter and I think you know I, I was no different to anybody else and just yeah, just looking for that acceptance and sense of belonging, really. I never felt like I belonged in the family I grew up in because I knew they weren't my parents. And right. there was never that bond. There was never an emotional bond or a connection or a relationship there, really. So, you know, I always uh, felt a bit like a loner. And um, even when I went into foster care, then I felt like I didn't belong. They did their best. Um you know, I went to a, a couple of sets that, you know, they did their best, but really deep down, I had this, um, this lack of uh, identity, knowing who I was and whose I was, but also, um, you know, I felt unloved, I felt unworthy of love, I felt like I didn't fit in, I felt like I didn't belong, I was fearful, um, but I always had this kind of tena tenacity, really, as well, you know, like I, I was you know, I had vision and I and I had desires and hopes for the future. I just really struggled in reality to walk that stuff out. I didn't know how to, I didn't have the skills. Um sure. anyway, when I when I was in care, I um started to see psychologists. I've seen some psychologists when I was smaller, but I started to see psychologists again and I just found that I unraveled more and more um emotionally. Um just the fear, the emotions, everything that happened, all the trauma compounded, um, you know, in your teenage years, they're really complex years anyway, everything uh -huh. is more intense when you're a teenager, everything is magnified, isn't it? And, you know, you're still trying to work out who you are. So it was all that going on as well. And yeah, I quickly got involved with the wrong crowd, started taking um, soft, soft drugs like weed, acid, amphetamine but you know I never did things by half I just never did things by half and I think by that age as well I was seeking adventure um you know and um you know I remember as a young girl just wanting to be free always just wanting to be free mm -hmm. and I just fell for the lies really of the world that you know freedom is found in doing what you want when you want how you want with who you want and freedom 
freedom looks like having a good time. And so, you know, with no boundaries, you know, that I would say it's a world's concept of freedom. And, and so I fell for that hook, line and sinker. And so, you know, I, I just got into everything really, you know, I really um, would just be up for for days at a time using drugs and just, you know, just see always seeking for the next high, the next adventure. And for me that that, you know, that offered me that then. Um yeah, and really quickly I became addicted to amphetamines. Um and because I had an issue uh with my identity, the way that I looked and um uh with my weight. Um, you know, I had like body dysmorphia you know I began to began to starve myself and and the thing with amphetamines it would um you know fasten your uh metabolism and you know would enable you to lose weight really quickly and it would enable me to stay up all night to dance all that kind of stuff yeah. and I, like I said I just never did anything by half measure <laughs> and you know it all of this stuff also helped feed my need to escape my reality because I couldn't really deal with with what was going on on the inside, um, and so I, you know, this was one way of uh, of dealing with it. And um, but just I ended up signing out of care when I was sixteen, started living on my own, and you know, I could see the way life was going, and I didn't really want that, but I just, yeah, I just found myself uh, really escalating out of control. Um, you know, just just hanging around the wrong kind of people that weren't going to have the right influence and just, yeah, just weaken that, I think, really. And, and yeah, not knowing what to do, really, and not knowing how to do it. And, yeah, so really, um, yeah, things just progressed. Obviously, one thing always leads to another. We always say, oh, we'll never do that or we'll never do this. But, you know, I'd opened a door and... Um, you know, I never imagined that one day I would progress onto heroin uh, and crack cocaine. Uh, you know, it was definitely not, you know, no, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and thinks they're going to become a drug addict. You know, no. that's, that's not, it's not, you know, it's not the way it is, is it? But, um, you know, and that was certainly true of me. But obviously one thing led to the other. Um, you know, as um, I think I don't, I don't recall how old I was, but... Um, you know, I, I got involved in codependent relationships, um, really from about the age of 17, actually. And um, yeah, that progressed on to me using heroin. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my lifestyle was just one that was, I was a compulsive user, whatever I did, whatever I did, you know, I, and that that would mean, you know, I could be up weeks at a time. Um, on a substance uh, I wouldn't sleep um, you know I would find myself just yeah having hallucinations all kinds of things talking to people that weren't there and just emotionally completely erratic really and um, I do recall when I was about um, 17 18 going to the doctors um, on a con on a come down of amphetamines and I remember him uh, take, listening to me and saying, you know, Trudy, you are 18 years worth of problems. You know, mm. he, he, you know, I think he didn't know what to do with me in that moment and referred me to a psychiatrist. But I remember coming out of there thinking, I'm not having anybody put any labels on me. Do you know what I mean? Like, no way am I going to be sectioned. And, and uh, 
yeah, I just totally um, ignored that and never followed up on that. And uh, yeah, was really fearful of that. But the reality was, um, you know, had I gone along, I probably would have been sectioned or, you know, some something like that would have happened. I definitely would have had been, you know, um, diagnosed with something. Um, and uh, yeah, just things began to escalate out of control, really. Um, you know, I think probably all in all, I started being homeless from about the age of 17 um and I would just stay wherever I could stay and obviously stealing for me had become an occupation you know uh stealing for me was a way of life getting arrested began to become a bit of an occupational hazard for me and um so you, you, you were know, stealing to to pay for the drugs and, yes, and yes. so forth yeah I began to commit petty burglaries um, but mainly my thing was stealing and credit card fraud. And it's not that I'm proud of that. But like you said, um, you know, I, I think then back then I justified it as well with the sense of I wasn't robbing from an individual. I mean, completely messed up perspective, but that's how I justified it. And um, that, that makes know, it all well, doesn't it? Oh, well, like, I thought, well, they can get it back on insurance. But I mean, there's no justification. We know that. But back then, that was the mindset. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, just, I would say, like, from, from then up until the age of 33, my life just spiraled out of control. I don't want to spend all the time talking about that. But, you know, within that, it got very dark um and very difficult and you know in the early years I'm like I said I had eating disorders um self-harm uh struggled with self-harming um you know it was just that self-loathing all the time and um there were times when I wanted to get clean um and I would try and you know I'd have a go I was somebody as well that even though I did commit crime uh, for a number of years, I was able to sustain work, although not for long periods of time, because growing up, my dad had had a strong work ethic. And so I'd had, you know, I've been working with my dad from about the age of nine. I got my own job at the age of 11. Um, you know, so, you know, I knew how to to apply myself, really. Um, and I could get a job, and but I couldn't sustain it because of my lifestyle. Um and so by the time I was 21, I kind of just gave up and gave myself over just to committing crime, really, to feed feed, feed my habit. Um, yeah. You, you um, kind of crossed the line at that point, too, didn't you, where someone suggested to you with your <clears throat> looks and so forth that maybe you should uh, work at work uh, in the sex business. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It was I up until the age of 21, by by the time I was I was really flat out on heroin from about the age of 18, um, 17, 18 to 21. Uh, and then I went into a rehab um, and I came out of that rehab and moved away and tried to start to pursue some things that were in my heart. And um, that went well for a while. Um, I applied to go to a dance and fitness college um, and somewhere to live I wrote to 240 charities to to raise the money to do that and yeah so I was trying to press forward but I think at that time I was still smoking weed and taking a bit of amphetamines and a bit of cocaine and thought I wasn't an addict because I wasn't um, injecting heroin anymore you know that that was the mindset 
And so I, I moved then to from a place called Bath to Bristol and um, to, to begin this course. And it was there that I met somebody. Um, really, I didn't know at the time, but obviously was pimping out a number of women and um, or young girls, should I say. And um, yeah, he kind of just started hitting on me. And I think the fact that I was lonely, I just kind of kind of gave into his um, chat up lines, really. And then, like you said, it wasn't long before he started to kind of um, sow the seeds, began to sow those seeds. And at first I was just like, you got no chance, no way, because you know, I was I was trying to kind of make something of my life by that point and then come up like come off the heroin. But um I was really struggling financially. So I was at a private dance and fitness college. Um, you know, I had to pay for a commentary and I was just really struggling. I had a little job in, you know, in a food, a fast food place, but you know, I just it wasn't sustainable. And then over time, um, that seed, those seeds started to kind of germinate, and I and just you know, and and I thought, and I was struggling so much. I just thought, oh, you know, maybe I could look into that. And I think now, looking back, had I valued myself, yes. um, and my, you know, who I was, I wouldn't have entertained the idea. Mm. But I think just everything in the past, uh, you know, I just really didn't know my own value, my own worth, and and how to how to value myself really. So well, I you know, thought it was so interesting in the book, you know, you said one, uh, you know, I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. And yeah. I just thought, wow, that's uh, really hit me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would just cry or get angry, um, like real hatred. Like yeah. obviously I'm not in that place today, but yeah, it's been, it's been a real journey. It's been a bit of a lifelong journey really. Um, so but yeah, um, self-loathing really just cut completely. Like, because I always thought I was the problem. I mean, how do you fix that when you're the problem? <laughs> you know, but yeah, um, yeah, so so I did. But obviously I never knew then the line that I was crossing. You, you just, mm. you know, you have no idea how much harder you can fall on, you know, I didn't realize how much I could lose by taking that step mm. of myself. You know, like I felt like that day something in me died when I stepped off that line and I and I went and I did it because actually when I was going um, there for that that first instance, I'd rung up somewhere and I was on my way. And by the time I got there, I knew I should walk away, but I just thought to myself, "Well, I'm here now. I might as well." You know, so I did. And you often find that, you know, in retrospect, looking back now, I just think that was a nudging from the Lord. You know, um, you know, I would recognize that now, even in that situation, sure. you know, God is omnipresent and his his grace, you know, his revealed grace is there for us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I think um, amazing. But um, anyway, I didn't. I went I went ahead and and I, I remember coming back from that and just trying to scrub myself clean and just, but that day just something in me died. I relapsed in on, on heroin at, at the time. And, um, well, I had to really drag your, you know, you're already struggling with your self-esteem and love for yourself. And when you cross that line, that had to really just to 
when you looked in the mirror after that day, it had to, you know, you so, had to even feel worse about, you know, man, I'm just not heading in the right direction right now. Well, do you know what I actually think, and it's, it's, I didn't even look. So before I saw me and I, I saw me and I saw mm. the struggle, I think after that, it's like you just, um, yeah, cover it up. Yeah. When, when I say something and you died, it's almost like you don't even see it now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I found I became more shallow. Like I lost something of me in that moment you know, who I was, the essence of who I was as a person. Um, and just, I think, to cope with that and to justify that, do you um, know what I mean? Um, that person just got psh, shut down and this is what I was doing now. And, you know, whatever you got to do to cope with that. It really, it really fed into doing more drugs as, as I read through your book, like the sex work, and then you would take the money you made, you would buy drugs and get, high for days weeks whatever and then as that would run out as more sex work then it was just like a vicious cycle you were just kind of out of control girl i was definitely out of control and um you know i mean at the time obviously it was a dark place but yeah it was like then then you're running even harder and even faster and using even more and it's yeah. escalating it's escalating because you're trying to escape the pain, the reality, and just, you know, what, what you've done. And it's just never ending. You know, I think from a young girl, I was running, I was always running. Um, yeah, and I just run harder and faster. And, and until I ran into the arms of Jesus, it was just, you know, I mean, by the grace of God, and I, and I do mean this by the grace of God, it really is that I'm here to tell the story. Um, when I look back and I think, because, you know, I've had, you know, obviously back then I would be, um, you know, I started off working in parlors. I would be stealing and doing other stuff as well. And I would be up all of the time. And it got to the point where uh, my habit was so bad that I started working the street corners as well. Um, and, and it just was relentless. It was like no amount of drugs was ever going to be enough. It, you know what I mean? It, and even if I had drugs, I was working for tomorrow's because these would run out. And, you know, I don't know if you've, you know, heard that about men putting women on the street. But, you know, for me in my situation, mine was screaming to get me off the street because I was just completely relentless and just out of control and so desensitized, really, um, to everything. You know, there were occasions when I was raped, um, you know, taken hostage on, on a number of occasions, all kinds of things that you would think that would surely be enough. Yeah. That that should that should be a wake up call for you. Uh -huh. Enough. But it was like, yeah, I'd be in shock for a while, but then I would just kind of carry on. Um yeah. So I mean, you you'll know from the story, like it was just relentless. It's like when when is this gonna stop? You know, so, so that was it for, for for 18 years. And and I, I guess I just lost every part of me, really. Um, I remember um, my sister coming um, and finding me through missing persons. Um, and she located me because I've been in trouble with the police. So obviously they have my details. And I remember she came once to um, to find me and, and found me just kind of in a, in, in, you know, 
in my bed just with a load of drugs paraphernalia really really sick and remember her taking me home and I think they thought I was going to die um you know die on them because I was so so sick and then um I remember um you know seeing my brother and everything and you know um I mean they were so desperate um for me to be to be made to be you know to be well and and I remember getting clean and but it was like the streets were just calling me, do you know, like th there was no rationale really. Um, and I remember just running, running back to, to the streets and it just got worse. And eventually I ended up homeless. I ended up living on the streets for six years, um, surfing from squat to squat, crack house to crack house, living under bridges, doorways um, with clients, just, yeah, just really um, even that really, you know, when you, I mean, I don't know what it's like where you are, but it gets very cold here in the winters, um, nice. very cold. Um, so, you know, they were dark, dark days. And, you know, like I said, you know, I remember being in, a, in one squat and the place was uh, on fire and my partner was screaming at me to get out. And I mean, I just had, you know, I mean, where my head was at. I mean, it's, right. you know, I think we can, you know, because at that point I was like, I just want another hit on the pipe, you know, like, this could blow up any minute but my all I could think about was the next hit the next hit the next hit and so like yeah just completely lost to it really and um yeah definitely um I tried to give up 32 times so within that cycle within those years I had tried on my own to give up I remember even detoxing in a dungeon once do you know what I mean in, in, in a brothel um, uh, you know, I'd gone abroad, I tried different medications, methadone, all kinds of things um, to get clean, because obviously within me, there would be different times when I would want to do that. And I could, I could maybe get through a rattle for a few days, or a week, or maybe even two weeks. But it wasn't a change of circumstances that I needed. It was a change of heart that I needed. And mm, a change yeah. I, I was I was pulling for you in the book, Trudy. I, I, kept thinking, I, I your book is so gripping. You know, so gripping. I was like, okay, you know, she's gonna do it this time. She's gonna she's gonna get clean. But it was like what thirty one times was it? Yeah, thirty two on the thirty third. Um, there, okay. Yeah, which is amazing. So I was thirty three at that time. Wow. Yeah, yeah, which was just um, uh, amazing, really. Um, I remember when I, I used to um, work the streets, um, there there were some nuns that, that were, um, they had a project in the area that I was in. And, um, you know, on occasion I'd use there to go and get food or, because they used to give out food and everything. And I'd met them and, I mean, they were great. There were three of them. Um, Rosie, she was about six foot. No, Rosie was about four foot. Annalise was about six foot and Sue was somewhere in the middle. So there were the three of them. And um, Annalise used to come out to the women, um, working girls that used to um, uh, work the streets, but she used to come out on a bus with, a, with another project that helped sex workers. And, um, you know, I mean, she was incredible. She always used to encourage me and say, come on, Trudy, you know, but I was so lost. I was so lost. I just didn't hear it. You know, I just didn't get it, but she would just keep speaking um, words of hope and encouragement and possibility over over my life. And um, yeah, I remember actually one day um, 
collapsing on their doorstep. I'd um, scored some bad gear. I was about five and a half stone at the time. I was living in a squat. Um, and I, I just um, literally collapsed on their doorstep about five and a half stone. And they took me in and had a really bad cough. I was really unwell. And um, all I could think about was how am I going to score? How am I going to get my next fix? And I was so poorly. And uh, anyway, um, did it, with all my efforts trying to find somebody so that I could score, it just wasn't happening for me that day. And they, um, Annalise was persistent. She said, I know of this Christian rehab in South Wales, you know, uh, we could give them a call and find out. And I was just so weak at the time. I hadn't, you know, I mean, it was all I could do was just to go along with it. But in my head, I was thinking, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of yeah. here. Um, but it ended up, I did go to South Wales. And um, I remember um, I was so poorly, like, I remember it was almost like a 90 degree angled hill um, to the house. And as we uh, arrived there, like literally they had to carry me up that hill and carry me in. And I remember one of the, the staff there saying, you know, um, like, we just thought you were going to die. You, you know, like it was, we've never seen anybody so ravished as you, so destroyed. Um, so I didn't, you know, I think, you know, they were horrified really, but that was just my norm. You know, I'd become accustomed to that for years. And uh, yeah, so I ended up going into this Christian rehab. And I remember at the time they were playing tambourines and singing songs. And I was thinking to myself, where am I? <laughs> like, what is going on? And, um, but I sent something different about the place, definitely. But uh, they were watching the news and drinking cups of tea. Well, that was not my world. My world was 250 miles an hour and it was complete chaos. And for me, that was boring. Yes. I remember, remember, um, but I remember it was a, a significant time for me because I definitely had some kind of spiritual encounter there, but I couldn't have given you language to it. I don't remember hearing about Jesus particularly. Um, and I remember running off from there and running back to the streets, um, uh, you know, and I'd got clean and, and I was doing okay. And I kind of knew I was on the right track, but the temptation of the drugs took me back to the streets. Um, but some years later with that same nun again on my case, um, you know, pursuing me and, and you know, uh, really just keeping on um, about me going back there. Um, a few years later, I did end up going back there. Um, and that's a bit of a story, but I did go back there. And it was when I went back on that occasion that I was taken to a meeting um, that, you know, I'd never been to a Christian meeting before. And I was taken to this meeting and there was, I know, I've never been in a venue so big either. There must have been, I don't know, at least a couple of thousand people. That was huge for me. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I remember walking in there and just being in awe, really, at the size of the place. And, yeah, I remember this man coming onto the stage. And um, I just remember this glistening in his eye and and he began to speak and he began to speak with such authority like this was uh this was reinhard bonky wasn't it it was it was reinhard bonky and i mean i didn't know who he was at the time you know i i'd enjoyed the worship although 
I didn't really know what worship was. I was just dancing and everybody was staring at me thinking, yeah, she's the new girl in. <laughs> you, you can tell she's definitely the new girl. But yeah, it was at a Reinhard uh, Bonke meeting in, in Cardiff. And oh my goodness, I just remember him coming to speak and just being captivated, really. He just carried such a presence uh, with him. And I don't recollect all of the message I, I, I really don't because I was so chaotic at the time. But as he spoke, you know, I felt compelled to respond. You know, he started to speak about God's love and how, uh, you know, God has sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Well, you didn't need to tell me I was a sinner. Of course, I knew I was a sinner and I knew I needed forgiveness. I felt, I just felt that in my heart, that need to respond that day. I didn't remember everything but I I knew that and I knew that I needed to to go forward and he started to speak about the Holy Spirit and I remember thinking who's the Holy well what's the Holy Spirit but I although I didn't understand everything I knew I needed I felt compelled to run to the front that day and I remember going down to respond um to to the call to receive uh Christ into my heart and I remember I ran forward um I just felt I felt like the electric in the atmosphere I, I felt like a heavy blanket mm. kind of on me. I, I I didn't know what God felt like but I knew it was God and um, and then I was prayed for in the name of Jesus somebody laid their hands on me I don't know if it was Ryan or Bonky or somebody else but they prayed for me in the name of Jesus and the moment that they prayed for me I just felt this, this, this warmth, this heat go through me. Um, you know, I would just remember afterwards feeling like I was floating on air, not really sure what was happening, but I felt it. You know, I didn't understand everything that was happening, but I certainly felt it. And um, they ushered us into a room to tell us, you know, and to give us some material to go away and read. And I just remember leaving that place thinking my life will never be the same again. I just had this innate sense my life would never ever be the same again and um yeah we I went back to the Christian rehab I was in but um I got a little payout and I was actually um on police bail at the time and um the temptation to use again overtook me so that moment that day I was definitely born again I'd had an encounter mm -hmm. uh with God there was no doubt about it that you know, in that moment, I was born again. But at that point, my, whilst it had happened spiritually, my understanding hadn't caught up with everything that had happened um, in that moment, because I was very chaotic in my mind, my emotions were still all over the place, I had a loose awareness. Um, but um, I ended up the temptation to use took me back to the streets, um, you know, I was there for less than a month, only this time when I went back to the streets and tried to use, I couldn't get high. It was like I was using, but I couldn't get high anymore. Mm. And in fact, I felt more depressed than I'd ever um, felt. And I remember uh, in that period thinking, this is it. This is my life. I can't, I can't change me. I can't fix me. And I had a real deep sense of hopelessness and I couldn't even get high to escape it now. 
And uh, it was after a couple of weeks, I just had this sense I needed to get back to Victory Outreach. And I had this sense I would be part of something in the future, but I didn't know what that would be or what that would look like. um, I remember um, going to visit the nuns and they said, come on, we'll try to get you back into that Victory Outreach. Anyway, after leaving there and going to work the streets, I got arrested and ended up back in prison. And it was when I was in prison, I think with all the distractions stripped away, I started to realize something was changing on the inside of me that I was seeing different. I remember being in a cell with a girl who I didn't know, and there was a calendar on the wall with all these Bible verses on. And um, I just remember reading them to her, and it was almost like I was preaching at her, but I didn't know anything about anything. It was just like the words that I was reading was coming alive in mm-hmm. me like I was coming alive as I was sharing it and uh, I remember going to the the prison chapel and at that time um you know people would just go to the chapel to get out their cell or to do a bit of dealing or just whatever but I remember going to to the chapel and I remember somebody mocking uh mocking the Lord and I just felt this righteous indignation rise up in me and I thought and I just had like, and I wouldn't have normally done this, but when we come out, I just said, look, you were out of order in there. Do you know a mock like that? And I just thought, that's not like me. You know, what is going on? Something is changing. And um, I just became really aware of God. And while I was in there, the Christian rehab, they rang, um, uh, they rang me. They, they spoke to me via the chaplain and, um, offered me an opportunity to go back there and to represent me in court. And um, I really didn't want to go back, to be honest with you, because I just, I didn't want my freedom curtailed and I didn't want to be under those, all of that stuff again. I just didn't want to go back. But while I was in the prison, the Lord really began to to deal with me. I think, I, it, I often think about the story of Paul when he wanted to go into Troas, like the spirit wouldn't allow him and I just remember when I was there it was like I wanted to go back I didn't want to go to rehab but it was like there was a brick wall there um and yeah there was literally in the sense I was in prison but but spiritually I I, like internally it's very hard to explain but um yeah I think it was the new man in me wrestling now my old nature as well and um yeah it was it was a battle it was a wrestle and and I remember after about three days I kind of gave into it Mm. you know the possibility and and then I began to think about the possibility of maybe going back and what that could look like and then all of a sudden I have more of a desire to go back and they came to the court to uh represent me and uh the the bench at the time they said we're going to give you 80 no we're going to give you six months to go into the rehab to prove yourself and so I went back to this rehab and you know just had to prove myself (laughs) so I but I really didn't want to go back I I, I, everything in me really struggled with it really um but I did obviously I did go and um I was there for six months but during that time I had a second encounter that I would say really changed the trajectory 
of, of my life really so at, at that first instance I'd received salvation no doubt about it I was born again mm. um you know and I was beginning to come really coming alive to God uh but it was while I was in the rehab I was in there for a few weeks I was still detoxing I still had the, the mentality of an addict I was on a very small amount of um Valium but I was like I need that like it was that dependency again driving me and um yeah uh, somebody gave me a copy um of the father's love letter um so i don't know if you're familiar well you, you would be because you've read the book but um it's just um a letter um from father god to to us as his children and it's just taken you know obviously from the bible lots of scriptures kind of woven together mm. um effectively share god's heart for us and i remember reading um this and you know I'd never known my biological father um so there had always been that void and I'm so amazed how God um knows us all uniquely and individually and chooses to reveal himself to us in a very personal way and I was reading this and um I you know to paraphrase it just this is you know my child I know everything about you. I know when you sit down, when you rise up, you know, nothing about you that I don't know. Basically, it was saying, you know, I know, you know, I've known you from the moment you were formed in your mother's room. I've known, you know, I know, basically, I know everything you've done, who you've done it with, what you've done. Um, and I love you. You know, and I sent my son, Jesus, to die for you, to reconcile you back to me so that I could have a relationship with you. You know, just God's heart as a father reaching, um, reaching out through 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 those Bible verses into the very core of my being. And, you know, as, as I read it, I, I just felt like. Um, I found the father I'd always been looking for, but yeah. also I remember reading it, feeling like I found what I've always been looking for, but never knew that I was looking Bible says, doesn't he, that God has put eternity in the hearts of every man. You know, that's good. And it's like, yeah, it was like that missing piece. Mm. You know, um, I often say to people that don't know the Lord, it's like a homing device. You know, but at that moment, and and Billy Graham said it, didn't he? You know, uh, that that within the human heart, you know, there's a hole in the human heart that only God can fill. So for me, that moment, it was just like this, you know, just really hard, like like a revelation in a moment that of, of wholeness, of of coming home, of finding what you've always been looking for. Mm. And I just, I was just like, and it was a really tangible experience. And I felt as I was reading um, the different scriptures, um, you know, as God was saying, you know, for I chose you, I planned you before creation. You know, I knew where you would live. I know everything mm -hmm. about you. And I, I remember just continuing to read it. And I, and I think as I was reading, my heart just expanded. The love of God just filled the room. Mm -hmm. Like, love, isn't he? And like, it was like that tangible love just expanded my heart. And just, I just kind of, I couldn't help but my heart be opened. Yes. It's like when you get in the presence of God's love, you you can't fight it. It's just 
you naturally just, you know, it, it was the most beautiful thing. And then um, I remember Reed coming to the end of it and, you know, he, he was saying that, you know, it was talking about how obviously God sent Jesus um, really basically to have a re relationship with us, to reconcile us to him. Now, I'd already prayed a prayer of salvation, but here in this moment, it, what was more profound was I more fully understood why Jesus died. Yes. The purpose of that. And what I could have as God, as my father, because of it. Do you know? And I valued that. And, I, and so I more fully understood. I think to the degree that you understand the truth is a degree that you can experience the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I think for me, um, I more fully understood the truth in that moment. And I experienced a greater level of freedom as I surrendered. I think in that one of the key things for me was that yielding to God, that surrendering to God to experience more of his presence. Um, and so in that moment, I just remember, I remember for a moment thinking, am I being brainwashed? Just for a moment had that um, but I knew him here. I felt it so powerfully. And I remember just asking Jesus into my heart and my life in that moment. And for me, that's when it really all changed. That was like when everything changed, because up until then, I still had that addict mindset. But the moment I completely just let it all go. I was tired. I was heavy laden. I, I was worn out. And I remember asking Jesus into my heart and my my life but with all of my heart in that moment and giving him all that I knew how to give him and in that moment I think my biggest miracle happened and I know the biggest miracle is salvation but for me in that moment um not only did I experience God's love and peace but um in that moment it was like I felt it was a few things one thing is I felt uh, that heavy weight off my back lifted you know jesus says and he come to me all oh, you are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest for your souls and it was like in a moment he lifted my whole life's baggage off me moment all that guilt all that shame i mean i wouldn't have been able to articulate it then but i remember looking around thinking like i, I felt it it was like i felt it and i was like you know and I remember days after thinking, I should be feeling bad. I should be feeling this. But I wasn't anymore. I felt like a virgin again. I felt clean on the inside. Blood, of, You know, the Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Mm. And, you know, it was like, yeah, I, I felt like I'd had a bath on the inside. And from that day to this day, like for me, it's like becoming a virgin again. I am clean because of the blood of Jesus. And so I've really like, you know, safeguarded that and, and valued that aspect of what God's done considering my history. And um, I felt peace. I think in that moment, I never knew how anxious and restless I was until I experienced the peace of God. And I stopped running and I started to run and turn to him instead of running from myself. And in that place, God, you know, from that moment on, like I said, I mean, that was the biggest miracle because not only that, from that day, I never, ever desired to use again to pick up uh, any kind of drug. Like for some people, they struggle 
like I had complete deliverance. You know, that was six or so more years ago now. Like I have never like got, you know, like that was a miraculous for me, deliverance. For me, that showed the power of God because I had tried everything in my own strength. And, uh, you know, like, it was like that really, you couldn't tell me after that, you, you know, like nobody could tell me because I knew how much willpower and desire and drivenness it, it took me to try. And, you know, the reality is we, we are physical, um, spiritual beings with a, a, a soul. And so, you know, sin affects all three dynamic or all of those three aspects do you know what i mean like so but for me you know i'd been under such strong spiritual oppression really um, and really held back by the enemy because of all the open doors in my life through wounds through sin through all kinds of things and you know like he had dominated my life for a long time and that's why it was so hard to move forward so so many times or i would repeat cycles you know impart it and so like I just really went on a, on a major healing journey I think I was the longest standing resident I was in rehab for over seven and a half years yeah. uh but but not just as a resident I went on to become a support worker and manager but what was really interesting is I remember going back to the court six months um and I was in front of the same bench and I remember them saying to me you're not the same person. Well, I was a new creation in Christ. I didn't just look better. They could see, they recognized, you know what I mean? You don't just look better. You are different. Mm. And um, that that's the truth, isn't it? That anyone in Christ is a new person. The old has gone and the new has come. And, you know, really, I guess I've not looked back since then, but it's it's been a real journey you know, of healing and ongoing freedom um, of God restoring, of transforming, of renewing. Um, but it's been incredible. And as you, as you experienced this, then you actually began working there at the, was it the Victory Outreach? Yeah, yeah. You, so were, I, you were helping other uh, women, uh, young ladies overcome what you had been set free from. Someone. I mean, isn't that amazing? You know, God doesn't yeah. just save us from something. He saves us for something. Yeah. And, just, you know, one of my favorite, and I suppose all verses that I would have held on to and, and, you know, definitely through those years is that God is able to work all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. That's everything. That's the worst thing. You wouldn't want anyone to ever know. God redeems it and he'll turn it around and use it for his glory if you'll trust him with it. So, you know, no matter how shameful it might feel or how painful it might seem or how impossible, God is able to do that when you trust him. And I definitely saw that there because of all the people, I never saw anybody like me come in. And that's not to, that's to brag in Jesus, to boast in him not in myself, but honestly, never saw anybody like myself. And I went on to manage that rehab. I couldn't manage my little finger. So to end up managing a rehab and to go back into prisons and, you know, minister to them women, bring them home, love them back to life, introduce them to Jesus, to walk with them, 
And so, yeah, I did that for five years and the least qualified. But interesting, the Lord said to me when I, I remember sitting there one day thinking, I am so not qualified for this. This is how am I even doing this? And the Lord said to me, truly, everything up until this point has prepared you for this moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, incredible, really, how how if you'll allow him, he really will work all things together for good. So, yeah, I did that for for a, a, a long time and it's, a, it's interesting when I reflect on it um, and other people's journeys my journey was quite unique and I think the Lord used me I enabled him to use me um, but I you know the way he works with people is so different um, like I didn't really have therapy or anything in there I just threw myself on mm. Jesus that is interesting you know s- some people You've got a supernatural deliverance. You went from being a full-blown drug addict um, in terrible shape, and God, just in a moment of time, you know, transform you. Some people, they need to go to AA or they need to go to uh, drug meetings, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. God uses all different type of programs, but you got a, you got a supernatural hit. I really did. I really did. But I tell you what, Ken, I, I want to probably just say as well, those things are good um, as well. I guess I still, what was a blessing was I was in a Christian community. I think if I, even if I'd have had that encounter, I, I, I never, I'll never know. But having everything else removed and being in a Christian community, it was like being in a greenhouse. So not only did I have a spiritual encounter that was radical, Do you know what I mean? That completely repositioned me and began to transform me or transform me in the spirit. I still had to walk that out. I still had to work that out. And by being in a Christian environment or a community um, uh, or a greenhouse, as I would say, because there was an acceleration of growth because it was so Jesus centered, you know, and um, because of my experience as well, like I said, I'm an all or nothing person. So, you know, I completely immersed myself and the more I did, the more God did. But, you know, honestly, that healing and transformation has been over years. Right. But actually, when I reflect back, you know, you know, I say it's years now, but, you know, from day one, it was always incredible. It was always amazing at what God had done in that moment. And it was enough to sustain me to keep moving forward into the more that God had um for me so you know there was a lot of renewing of the mind breaking agreement with lies where the enemy could still limit you restrict you and bother you and oppress you um obviously the healing of wounds dealing with forgiveness um allow you know those emotions allowing uh, um god to work in that i love that scripture that says jesus binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted and and that's how I felt for a long time that he was holding me. He he died on the cross to heal me. My healing was paid for, but I had to work that out. You know, we have to work out our salvation, don't we? You know, it's a process. Um, understanding that, like I said, to the degree that you under you know the truth, but understand the truth is a degree that you can walk in it. Then mm-hmm. after a period of time, you're you're there at the house running the the house for these uh. <laughs> women you you uh you begin to get a little bit restless and uh, oh. 
you felt like you needed to step out and God God called you to go to a, a Bible college. No. Well, do you know the incredible thing was we were in a move of God in our own church. So 2013, I lost. So um, on the back of getting saved over a number of years, I began to restore relationships um, with family and stuff. That's what God does. He's in the business, a whole business of restoration. And um, it was 2013, both my parents died. Um, my adopted parents, who I'd made peace with, with the Lord's uh, work and everything. But we were also in a move of God at the time. So we had an outpouring in our church where a guy got out of a wheelchair, started running around the building um, with his wheelchair over his head. And yeah, we just saw thousands of people descending on the church, God moving powerfully, um, many wonderful miracles of salvation and healing and deliverance. And God's glory was so evident in that place. And it was during that time I... Um, I'd felt restless before then, but it was during that time God spoke to me about going to um, going to Bible college. And, you know, I just at, at the time I thought, wow, you know, because I'm in the middle of all this. I'm I'm living with miracles. I'm living and I'm walking with, you know, real miracles every day um, by running the rehab. You know, I'm in a move of God in this church. And, and but God, you know, has got other plans. And uh, like you said, like it had been a while before I, I'd been really conscious before that um, about raising others up and transitioning. I think I've always had a bit of a pioneer spirit, do you know, like um, and we've all got different gifts. And, you know, I really got that going um, and, and moving, but um, I wasn't called just to manage. Do you know, God, God yeah. was calling on and really more. Oh, yeah. And I've always had like a missionary heart and an evangelistic heart. And I've done a lot of missions and and, and evangelistic uh, missions uh, uh, up until that point. And yeah, like I knew it was time. And uh, yeah, God just began to grace graciously um, help me, really, because obviously I'd been there my whole Christian journey and I'd lived in. I'd lived, breathed and worked and given my life to what I was doing. You know, I was an all or nothing guy and, and every moment was given to that. So this was a big deal, really, in transitioning. And I, I was 40. I had no education, really. Uh, well, I did go to school, but I, I finished badly. And um, so to go to Bible college and I just remember thinking, no way, you know, this is not for me. But I did go and I did graduate and, um, you know, I did well, um, you know, and I and I. I look back now and yeah thank god really it was a difficult time it was a challenging time and a stretching time but obviously in that time god was equipping me for what was to come so yeah so i did three years there and then god took me back to bristol where i worked and lived on the streets um so i minister in a church there been there since july 2016 and um yeah it's been incredible really just uh, how God has used that time uh, really just, yeah, and just used me in that place. So just seeing a lot of salvation, a lot of people getting healed and just also God restoring to me, you know, like God, God often takes us back to a place, you know, um, to enable us to walk in the newfound authority that, that 
you know, we, we have in him. It's like, you know, where the darkness once held me bound. Now here I am walking in my God-given authority and reclaiming, you know what I mean? What, what, what was robbed, what was stolen. And now I'm taking back ground for, for the kingdom. So just incredible. You know, just love the way God works. And, but just recently I I've gone part-time and um, I'm looking to now um, go over to Orlando with Christ for All Nations for a few months um in um july uh, yeah july august so i'm gonna pop over there for a few months and see what's next i felt i felt the lord prompting me to go there so that's kind of my next steps you're, you're going to christ for the nations christ for nations christ for nation okay all right you, you know rhino bonkey's ministry mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or daniel calendar now mm -hmm. but uh yeah so yeah, just um, I really felt God speak to me last year about that. So um, I'm just moving in faith, really. I don't know what's on the other side of that. I know there's more. Um, and I want to press into more of God. Um, my heart is to see people come to know him, um, you know, to press into that more, to see the kingdom advance. And, um, yeah, it's just a great opportunity. Um, you know, it's just yeah. a great opportunity to go and be with some of the best some of the most fruitful um you know that are already doing that my heart's always been a vision evangelism and mission so you know um obviously i've served in a local church for a number of years now and i love the local church um but I, but i feel god is calling me to pursue pursue this area well, just yeah. like Abraham, he, he just followed God. He didn't know exactly how it was all going to work out, but sounds like that's what you're doing. Totally. And it, and it is, and I feel God beckoning, like just mm. beckoning me on. So yeah, mm. a bit scary, but it's exciting. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like I am stepping into the unknown, but we oh, know that. Awesome. Yeah. So, but, but I, but I know God's gone ahead of me. And he knows, yeah. and yeah. he's just my faith to join his. So we will see. Yeah. Well, um, what would you say to people that are watching the program today, Trudy, that uh, maybe they're struggling with addiction, with, uh, you know, self-esteem, so forth? Uh, what, yeah. what parting word would you give them, encouraging word from the Lord? If you're struggling, if people are struggling in addiction, Jesus set the captives free um and jesus wants to set you free there's nothing that he can't set you free from when you yield to him when you come to him and you surrender that to him so there's nothing that he can't do if you'll truly trust that to him for some people it may be that you actually need to get in a community of people to help you progress towards that point. So whether that's in a local church community, um, whether that is in a community of people that are, are overcoming and have overcome but are further on than you, um, I think to get yourself around those kind of people will help you and will encourage you. But ultimately it's Jesus who's the one that can set you free um and you may say well oh you know i've i've asked jesus to help me 
um, you know, or, or I, I've tried that, I've tried to give it to Jesus. When you completely, truly surrender and yield it to Jesus, he will deliver you. He is able to deliver you. And so I have nothing else to say, but to come to him, to come to the cross, to lay it down at his feet. As you do, God will move. You will see God break through. You will see God bring you through to the other side. What I would say is don't give up. If you haven't had a breakthrough yet, if you haven't seen it yet, mm. you know, maybe that you're on the verge of it. God is just looking for you just to hold on, to keep, to keep pressing on. You know, sometimes people want things instantly and God can move in a moment and he does move in a moment. But sometimes it's a process. So if you feel like it's been a long journey or a bit of a process, I want to say, don't give up. Don't give up because God will never give up on you. You know, when I think about it, I was delivered in a moment. But let me tell you, there were 32 attempts before I got there. There was a journey. Now, I'm not saying that that is your journey, but the reality was there was a journey. And I think within that process, I came to a point of surrender, realizing I couldn't fix me, realizing that I just come to the end of myself and just let it all over to him but um there was that process so you may find yourself in that in that place and I want to say that God will never give up on you God will never give up on you his heart is for you he loves you and you know you might feel like you're nobody that you're nothing that you have messed up that you are beyond um hope or that you just feel absolutely rubbish in yourself because of things that have happened to you i want to tell you god wants to heal you he wants to restore you he wants to liberate you he wants to help you he wants to walk with you walk you through to the other side and he can do that if you'll turn to him if you'll call upon his name with all of your heart if you'll turn to him if you'll trust him if you'll put your hand in his hand, he will lead you out. He will lead you out. He will lead you to the other side. And, you know, you cannot let the world um, and your past experiences, what's happened to you, define you and beat you around anymore. You know, Christ died for you because you were worth, to God, you were worth dying for. You were worth dying for, you know, you know, you can't, you know, I don't want to be cold or hard, but you can't say that you don't matter, that you're not significant because Christ, God died for you so that you could be made whole, that you could be made well, that you could know who he made and designed you to be, that you could know the purpose that he has for you. Now, I know that healing takes time sometimes. Sometimes we just got to get real. We got to get honest and, um, got to get to a place where we can share that with him and potentially share that with other people that he can work in our hearts and you know he can begin to you know remove that rubbish remove those lies remove all of that stuff and replace it with his truth his love and his goodness you know god loves you he's for you he's for you and i want to say don't give up god will never give up on you and if you if you give if you come and you you just you just 
lay your heart bare before the Lord. If you lay it all bare before the Lord, there is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing that is too difficult for him. There is nothing that is impossible for him. And I just love to pray right now, if that's all right. Is that all right, Ken? Yeah, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray, Father, over everybody who's watching right now that may be bound or struggling with addiction, I take authority, Father God, over every spirit of addiction in the name of Jesus Christ. And I command every spirit of addiction to loose those individuals right now in Jesus' name. All alcohol addiction, all drug addiction in Jesus' name, all prescription uh, people that are addicted to prescription drugs. Father, in the name of Jesus, we loose them now, Father. Lord, we pray, Father God, Father, for every single person that's watching, Lord, that is bound in any way. Father, we speak freedom and deliverance in the name of Jesus over them, Father. Father, I pray for every broken heart, Lord God, Father, every wounded captive, you know, if the enemy can wound you, he can take you captive. Lord, we pray, Lord, for those who have been taken captive by wounds and lies, Father God. Father, we pray, Lord, that you will expose those lies, Lord, that you would bring a revelation of your love and your truth into their very uh, lives, Lord God, into their very hearts, Lord. We pray that you will bring revelation that will bring transformation to them. Father, we thank you that you're the God who cares and that you're the God who sees, that you're the one that heals, delivers, and transforms. And Father, we pray, Father, your healing. Father God, right now for those that need healing. We pray for freedom for those that need freedom. And we pray hope for those that need hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for that uh, powerful prayer, Trudy, and thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, we'll put all of the different links in here so people can contact you. Uh, so uh, God bless. It's been a pleasure visiting with you today. Thank you, Ken. It's been an honor. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.